Welcome to the Lift Oneself podcast. I am your host, Nat Nat B. Listening with an open heart allows us to relate to another's journey, opening up our minds to insights that help us reflect on our own life. In every story, you can find a glimpse of yourself in the details. I appreciate you being here. Welcome to the Lift Oneself podcast, Janet. Thank you for being here. Oh, thanks for having me, Natalie. I'm thrilled. I want to ask you, how is your heart doing? Wow, what a great opening question. Right now, in this moment, my heart is okay. It feels full and balanced and safe. What can you thank COVID for? Space. Honestly, space is like, and connection, creativity. It gave me a lot of room to have time to create and have time to connect more deeply with my family and my kids, because I don't think I fully realized it at the time, but maybe a little bit that it was probably the last time all three of my kids were going to be living at home at the same time. So that was really, those moments are something I will always treasure. So it has definitely given us connection. It definitely gave me room for creativity Yeah. I mean, honestly, I've had room to help more people, like more people came out to get help because of COVID. So though they came because of pain, it was actually a gift because they let themselves receive help and support. You have a book called Show Up for Yourself. Uh, Your full name is Janet Philbin. Mm -hmm. It came out, did you, it did come out last year in 2020? Oh, three weeks after the pandemic started, it was released. Yeah, how was <laughs> that? <of> timing. <laughs> you know, it, it forced a big pivot, you know, because I thought the book would come out and I'd be able to promote it in person places. But of course, that didn't happen. So I had to do a complete pivot. And even though I was getting better at social media and Instagram and using my mailing list, I had to totally pivot and learn how to promote the book in a different way to reach more people. You know, so I've done, I have done a lot of podcasts and um, I've been writing more because of it. And I have a few classes I developed because of it, which were not on my radar before the book was released. So it forced me to pivot and step into what was available and and allowed me to be use the book to be of more service to people. Yeah. Can you explain a little bit of how this book came about? Yeah, sure. So the book really took about 5 years. Not not on purpose. The inspiration for the book is um chapter 10 called The Spiral of Healing, which that download of information came to me in about 2015 or 16. And I knew when I got that information, it would be a book, but I had no idea how it would be a book. And I've always journaled and I've always written and I just began to compile everything I always had written in addition to the fact that I kept writing until Again, the book came out in April. So the September before I really made the decision, okay, this is ready to be a book. 
And I got about four chapters in and I said, oh my goodness, I don't know how to write a book. So I had to find a book coach and she helped me and she became my editor and publisher. And so this book was really an outgrowth of my growth, an outgrowth of my healing and an outgrowth of me becoming who I am today, even though that is not static, because since the book has come out, I've, you know, changed and developed and grown even more. But that's where I was at the time when the book was finally finished. I actually want to read a part of the spiral healing. Um, So I'm going to read it uh, from this. uh, I think it is chapter 10. Let me just. Yeah, it is chapter 10. The Cherokee teach that all things are important in the circle, and we are to remember the sacred interrelationship of all and the clarity that comes when you open yourself up to the energy of the circle of life. The same is true for the spiral of healing. As you heal up the spiral, understand that this is sacred work you are embarking on. It is the sacred work of healing yourself at a cellular level of healing on a level of the seen, which is form, and unseen, which is formless. Now, as you said, this came from the inward outwardly. I presume that you didn't always have this awareness. Can you give us some insight of what you had to discover and and what you went through throughout your life journey? Yeah, I, I can. I mean, I have a long trauma history from when I was a little kid. And when I was about 22, I started really unraveling that by going to traditional therapy and went through a few different therapists, which were all very helpful. But I was still stuck certain places. I was I was still stuck. I didn't understand. I still had a lot of triggers. When my kids were very little, I had a lot of anger. and. I knew it wasn't me. Like I knew it really wasn't the true me, but it was so powerful and so in the front that it was my go-to when my, my stress levels were high, when I was impatient, it was just my go-to. And honestly, like I, I sort of asked every day, I sort of prayed every day and I'm not a religious person. I am a spiritual person, as you know, from my book, but I'm not a religious person, but I sort of prayed every day just for help. Like, how do I rid myself of this? And that's sort of when I became, went into my own awakening journey of it had to be more than just traditional therapy. And I was already a hypnotherapist for a few years at that time when I really let myself dig into the spiritual awareness of it. And I I also, I talk about it earlier in the book when I was in that class called Spiritual Journey Within. And I realized, well, I came from somewhere. You know, I realized I was once of the stars or a star and my soul and my spirit is bigger than my humanity. And so from there, it just sort of began to grow and blossom as I learned more and more and read more and more and took more and more classes and began to understand energy healing and became an energy healer. So everything I was learning for myself as a professional, I was also learning for myself personally. And so working with healers to help me as I was helping my clients, you know, doing meditations, creating meditations, participating in retreats, whatever I was doing was all on my own journey of healing. So that on the day when I was in meditation and 
I received this message, this download about the spiral of healing, I just knew that it was a message that had to be shared, that had to be understood at a deeper level, that healing does happen from the inside out, which I always knew, but I didn't know. You know what I mean? There's that knowing and that we have to go through these layers and that they don't happen one at a time. They sort of happen simultaneously as you're in the healing process. I can't pick it apart because we are a whole person made up of many parts. So the healing happens to the whole person, even if we're only looking at one aspect at a time, but the complete healing is all four parts of that component. You know, what are we feeling? How are we healing? How are we going to grow? And then how are we going to really love ourselves? you know, in order to then move forward to the next iteration of who we're ever going to become next, because I don't think we're ever done becoming, right? We're always, I don't ever want to stop. My clients always say to me, Jenna, how many sessions till I'm done healing? And I'm always like, yeah, what if I tell you there's no done? Doesn't mean you have to be in therapy forever, but it just means you always have to be open to working on yourself and, and looking at the pain. So I hope that answered your question. Oh, it did. It In the book, um, well, actually, let me ask you this. You mentioned at the beginning that you have experienced trauma. Hmm. Can you give what, how you define trauma? Yeah, trauma, any experience you've had in your life, whether it's one single, very hard, scary, upsetting experience, could be a car accident could be the death of a family member, could be the divorce of your parents, or maybe your own divorce. Maybe your trauma was your teacher yelling at you in front of the blackboard when you were in first grade and you got super embarrassed. Or maybe the trauma was worse and it was some form of abuse. Pick one, right? Now, trauma can happen once and it can be traumatic. An event can happen one and only time and that's trauma. Or we have repeated traumas the same type of event happening over and over to you, that's trauma. Or we bear witness to an event or multiple events. So say you grew up with parents that were always arguing and uh, one parent that's always hitting the other parent, but you yourself were never hit or yelled at. It doesn't matter that it didn't happen to you. If you were witnessing the same event over and over again, we're also traumatized by what we bear witness to. So that's that's why I actually don't share what my specific trauma is, because I don't want to dismiss anyone else's trauma. And they look at what I write and they say, oh, well, my what I went through isn't as bad as that. So maybe it wasn't really trauma. So it's actually done on purpose that I don't share it because we can't compare ourselves to other. Then we dismiss and minimize our pain and what we've gone through. So everyone's pain is um, valid and important. And we have to hold those parts of ourselves sacred for healing, no matter if it's something that you would consider a small event or a big event. I think Renee Brown calls it comparative suffering. Yeah. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. That you, you know, I, I'm not entitled to my feelings about what I went through because 
my parents only got divorced, but um, one of your parents died. So what you went through is worse, but that there is no worse or better or less than or more than, you know, and then there's all sorts of other trauma, you know, like what's happened in society and culture and with race, like like that's generational trauma. Right. And that's there. That's in our families. That's in culture. And that can't be ignored either no matter what someone's experience has been. So maybe they, they had a lovely childhood and there was no family strife, but maybe because of culture in some way, shape or form or of society, we have been traumatized. So I don't like to measure it. Yeah. I, I, everyone is individual. I know that was a really long answer. No, you know what? I appreciate that. And I appreciate how you defined it. And I really... This is one book because I'm in the process of developing the book that I have to write. And I've experienced a lot of trauma in my life. I understand that comparative aspect that we have. And I really held a lot of reverence that you did not write the trauma and that it didn't allow the ego's defense mechanisms to ignore your own suffering and invalidate your own experience by comparing and thinking somebody else is more worthy than you because it is a type of defense mechanism the ego uses so you just won't look at the pain because it feels like it's too overwhelming for you so let's just dim out here and go outwardly and hold somebody else with higher reverence i call it the comparing of wounds my wound is bigger than your wound and and then it it gets us away from actually talking about how did it feel yes. rather than trying to be in that comparison trap that we've been embedded in from, you know, from in our school systems. It's, it started from there of who got this, who got that in athletics, all these kind of things that it has its importance because it, it gives us a certain energy, yet it also can be very dismissive of allowing us to acknowledge ourselves because we're always looking measuring ourselves to somebody else. And depending on how your ego uses it, you're either self-righteous and going up or you're self-loathing and going down, not just meeting you. You see, I'm being wordy too of explaining it because I I think that's great. I love, I love what you're saying about the wounds. I think it's absolutely perfect. That will bring me into Shefali. So we met in 2018, we met online, and then we met physically in Long Beach, California at an event called Evolve. And we were both in the same group uh, that was taught by Dr. Shefali. And you continued on and you took on her conscious parenting coaching program? Yes. Can you explain a little bit what you learned and what you discovered within that? That is a big question. You know, (laughs) it's a five month program and it is a deep dive into deconstructing your own belief systems. So we're understanding um, the psychological, we're understanding the emotional, and we're understanding even to some degree the spiritual and seeing how what we're holding on to, how we're projecting it onto others, how we don't own our stuff, how we want to fix another, which we never can um, at all, ever, ever, ever. And 
really conscious parenting is all about developing that conscious connected relationship with yourself. Because once you have that, then you can actually parent the child in front of you as opposed to believing that you're parenting a child that you want your child to be, but it's not really who your child is. So it's really a deep dive and a deep deconstruction into your belief systems and the stories you've told yourself and really begin to unpack it, to let it go. And it, it, it there's, there's not enough time or words. I don't think to fully describe what you learn in the program um, in becoming a coach, because it's like you get broken down to your bare bones if you really do the work and then you get to build yourself back up. Yeah, that that has been, you know, when taking the courses with Shafali, she would always reiterate, you have to do it in the actual experience. You have to practice it in the direct experience. And a lot of times we can do courses and we'll get it intellectually and we're thinking we're actually doing the work, yet it's like, are you actually applying it? And applying it is the actual work, yet it's uncomfortable. It is. It, it can feel like you're swallowing acid sometimes or your skin's on fire because it's activating your defense mechanisms of the ego because you're really going into that vulnerability that it's trying to protect. And therefore, if you're not actually practicing it, it you're not getting the fruits of it. You're not really understanding it. Uh, so I can imagine, yeah, it's a, a very deep dive in the best investment uh, oh, to... Yeah go into can you explain in the book you talk about um the inner child can mm. you give a little bit of an explanation for those that have no idea what that is yeah definitely um so the inner child is real in a metaphorical sense right so within each of us is our inner child, where I believe that when we come into form, into our bodies, we come in pure, we come in whole, we come in intact as our true self. The problem is we're born into families that are unconscious, wounded, (laughs) broken in some ways, you know, and in order to survive, we begin to dim who we are. because our family of origin or whoever our caregiver is can't fully handle who we are. So because of their own wounds. So we begin to change and morph. Oh, well, mom can't handle it. If I need too much love, this is all unconscious. Okay. We're not actually thinking these things. I'm just spelling it out. So mom can't handle it if I need too much love. So I'm going to sit over here in the corner and be quiet until she comes to me. So we learn, okay, in order to be loved, I'm quiet. Another child might say, in order to be loved, I need to make a lot of noise. And maybe that's a temper tantrum-ish kind of kid. So we develop all these different um, shields uh, that protect us. And we've developed them in order to keep ourselves safe because all of these skills we develop in service of survival. So the inner child actually develops a protective shield around him or her 
And I actually like to, I didn't talk about this in the book, but that's the wounded inner child. And that's the one walking around protecting us because I have to be this way in order to survive. The problem is all of this gets stored in the subconscious mind. And the subconscious mind has no sense of time. So if at three I learn in order to get attention, I'm going to be loud and throw a toy. And then mom gives me attention or dad gives me attention, whatever kind of attention it is. But then I'm 30 and I feel ignored. So I throw a book at the wall. That's not the adult self. People might think it is, well, the person looks like an adult. They're six feet tall. They're all grown up. But it's not. That's the three-year-old. So until we go back in time and find out what that wounded inner child suffered from and why it actually developed those coping skills and then help it heal, then the 30-year-old doesn't have to cope with stress and pressure with the coping skills of a three-year-old because the three-year-old can be taken care of. And then we can access that true inner self, that true inner child who really is perfect and whole and intact. So we it, it's kind of a two-part question and I, I don't talk about it this way in the book, but it's our, our it pure is a, a part self. two book. That's why. Yeah. Who knows one day, right? That true self, that inner child who's just fully intact and the coping skills we develop, which become the, the wounded inner child, that that's who we show the world. Yeah. Yeah. You explained it really well. Thank you for that. I just want to give some insight for people to understand the depths of what you have experienced in the work that you've done. In 1991, you speak about working with AIDS patients. Mm. And then later on, having to be wanting to go into long-term geriatrics, geriatrics <laughs> and then becoming the hospice social worker. Mm-hmm. So you have a lot of experience and have experienced death and mm. the transitioning. Can you give me what your definition of it is? My definition of A death of death. You know, I think no, none of us can know. But I, I think when we die, we're just moving on to a new plane. I don't really know what that is, but I have to believe that it's something better than this, where all of the wound and all of the pain that we've suffered with and from in form gets transmuted. And in the light, I believe we go to light, we can be whole and complete and healthy and whether that's physically and or emotionally healthy, that all of those wounds just get to be healed. And then we can remember our true self, right? Then we get back in touch with all of those gifts that we were born with that we had to hide in order to survive, especially for someone who never healed, you know, because so many die without healing those emotional wounds. So I I just think it's a a different plane of existence that we can't know till we get there. But I do believe that we are whole and complete when we are, when we do reach that spot and that when we're in the light, you know, I believe it was last year. Was it last year that your mother passed? 
two two years ago, March. Two years yeah. ago. COVID has me very blurry. Everybody. Um, <laughs> can you explain how you had to show up for yourself with the death of your mother and having to grieve and feel and be honest about what you were experiencing? And in sh- well, I'm just projecting, perceiving that you didn't, because we'll sometimes want to, society will want to be like, get over it and just bypass and get back to work and don't be sad, like don't hold the feeling of it yet. Can you give some tools or some insight of how you showed up for yourself during that experience? Cause some people have already experienced the death of their parents. Other people haven't Yeah. yet. It's something that we all will have to navigate through. Yes, it is. Unfortunately, I think we have to be real. You know, we have to be really real with what's going on. When we tell ourselves it's not as bad as it is, we don't allow ourselves to be in the present moment with the person who's dying. You know, now not everyone has the opportunity to do that. Some people die suddenly and unexpectedly, and then we're dealing with something else. So I'm just not, I'm not going to talk about that, not because that that's its, its own different form of trauma, right? So, but if you have the opportunity to be with your loved one as they're dying, um, for however long it is before they die, be there, like put your stuff aside because it's really not going to help you to hold on to it in those moments. You can always go back to it and deal with it, you know, but to, to be with the person I, I actually had, my mother did not want to die. She told my sisters and I, I do not want to die. She had a procedure to put a feeding tube in about two weeks before she died because she did not want to die and she was dying. And then a few days before she died, she said to me, and my, one of my, both of my sisters, I think were in the room at the time. She said, am I dying? And I actually had to say to her, yes, you are. And that was excruciatingly hard. And yet I'm in gratitude that I was able to be present with her and tell her that even though it was super hard. So be there in the hard, because as hard as it is, I do think it helps us then when we have to grieve and be in the feelings and let them come and let them flow and breathe with them, breathe through them. I will never forget how I had to do that right after she died and how I had to breathe through the retching pain of those minutes right after she died, even though we knew it was coming, even though we sat at her bedside waiting for that last breath to come, you're still somehow shocked when it happens, even though you know it's coming. So to be there for yourself Now, I've had the experience, you know, when I worked hospice, that some patients wouldn't die if the family was in the room. And some patients waited for family members to arrive until they would die. So you also have to respect the the wishes of your family member, because maybe they're not going to die when you're sitting there in the room and you get the call in the middle of the night. Not to beat yourself up that you weren't there to understand that that person made a choice to go in their own way. And so just, just be there in the reality of it as, as hard as it is. And it sucks. Like there's, there's no good way. There's no good way at all. 
and to just let yourself breathe and move through it as gently as you can with yourself. Thank you for that honesty, because sometimes in the kind of spiritual world or self-help or whatnot, it'll be like, just think your way through and it's beyond the body. And it's like, okay, I'm human still. And this is a human experience. And yes, I understand beliefs, yet there's a connection. And, you know, to, to have to transition through that frequency and that being able to relate, it, it's no different. I see, I haven't experienced it yet because mm-hmm. both of my parents are still living, yet I have witnessed it with my friends. Mm-hmm. And it's no different how I can see the comparison of labor pains mm-hmm. and having to navigate those excruciating hills of like if you've been in labor if you have experienced as a woman you know it's like nothing good could come from all of this like what are you telling me um yet we go through it and it's hard and it's it's difficult and it's challenging so I really want to thank you for that vulnerability and honesty so that we don't try to negate people's experiences because I, I can see that sometimes in some of the teachings that are said or, or whatnot and then people find it really challenging. Yeah, but I mean that's when we, you know, can talk about spiritual bypassing, yeah. you know, and using spirituality to like make it all better and make it all go away. There is no spiritual bypass of that depth of pain. Because it is deep, it is raw, it is guttural. And I believe we need to go there. Because when we go there, we go through it. And through sucks. Like I tell my clients all the time, through sucks. Like I'm not here to tell you this is going to be fun and easy. It's going to be liberating. My clients always tell me that is liberating. Like what's better than that? But in order to be liberated, you have to go through to the other side and that tunnel is dark and that tunnel feels bad and that tunnel feels scary and you don't know when it's going to end but it always does unless you stop yourself from even going or you say yeah I'm not going to go through the tunnel I'm going to go over the top but then you don't reach actually the same destination that you would reach if you went through Because that's where the learning happens. That's where the healing happens. And so whether that's dealing with your trauma, whether that's dealing with a death of any kind, a loss of any kind from the loss of a pet to maybe a job, a marriage, so much loss during COVID pick one. I mean, yeah, there's a million to pick from. So pick anything, anything that you've loved, that is now gone is a loss, no matter what it is. I want to ask you, how do you support your mental health? How do I support my mental health? I read a lot. I'm always reading. I meditate pretty much every day. And I do yoga. I get outside in the fresh air when the weather allows for it. I live in New York. Now the weather allows for it in the winter, not so much because I don't like to be cold. So I'll just own the fact that I don't go outside if I don't have to in the winter. I run in and out of my car. And when I need help and support, I reach out to a coach, a therapist. I do hypnosis with a colleague of mine. I'll do energy work if that's what I need. I talk to a friend who I can trust about what's really deeply bothering me. I journal. Journaling is big. 
big time important just to get it out. So I, that's what I do. I never stop paying attention to what's going on inside of me. Imagine you're 18. Oh boy. Okay. And you have this awareness now and you're going back to that 18 year old and you only can say three words. It doesn't have to be a formulated sentence. It's just three words. If it has to be, then it is. What are those three words you would tell your 18-year-old self? The first thing that popped into my head as you asked me that is, don't be afraid. Is there any little bit of a, a tool or insight that you can share with the listeners that they can use right now as a practice to help them show up for themselves? Can I say, don't be afraid again? <laughs> Don't be afraid, but pay attention to what's going on in the physical body. The world is happening around us, but to everything that happens around us, we have a response and a reaction. And so pause, breathe, because a lot of times we hold our breath, we forget to breathe and tune in. Wow, my kid just threw his milk on the floor. Where is my body responding to that? And tune in, pause. Oh, my stomach's tight. Gee, my head hurts. Oh, there's something in my throat and I just want to scream. Pay attention to what your body's telling you. Take care of you first. Literally imagine breathing air to that part of your body that's having the physical response. Calm the power, that part of your body down first. Then deal with whatever showed up in front of you. That are listening show up and feel pause is really important uber important and sometimes i stick i know we're doing this audio but i will take my middle finger and i place it over both my lips under my nose so that i don't talk when my teenager is like coming at me because my youngest is a teenager um and it's feels like an attack, but I know it's not an attack. I know it's just anxiety coming out of her and it just needs an outlet. So if I can stay quiet, it actually passes from her and I don't have to take it in. But sometimes because it's so triggering, because like if we feel we're getting yelled at, if it's coming at us, that energy, we want to respond. We want to protect ourselves. So I literally will hold my finger over my lips to make sure I don't open my mouth. Thank you. It's a really good little trick and no one knows what you're doing, right? You just can lean on your hand and put your finger over your lips and just breathe. (laughs) Reminder. Yeah. And it can, and it's difficult when we're reactive. Yeah. We haven't paid attention to, like you said, your stomach's in the knot or you got a bubble in your throat or your tension in your shoulders, wherever that is, we aren't habituated to pay attention to that. It's just, let's, I call it the projection of the hot potato. Mm. So we just want to pass it on to somebody else, this feeling, get rid of it, yet not realizing that hot potato is going to come back to you at some point and you don't want that. So just show up for yourself. Can you let the listeners know where they can find you? Oh, definitely. Thanks. The web, my website is the best place, janetphilbin.com, P-H-I-L-B-I-N. And everything is on there, all my social media links to everything, links to the book. Uh, There's even a free download to the book on the website uh, for the first, I think about 45 pages, you can download it for free. So you can check it out first before you buy it. And 
yeah, anything you want to know about me, probably too much, is on the website. You also have courses on there too, correct? Yes, the links to the courses is a course, a book club course. And then there's a masterclass, which is a deep dive into the four components of the spiral of healing. That course is four hours and each individual class has teachings and a meditation and there are PDFs to go along with it. There are PDFs in the book club class too, but there's no meditations in that one. So if people want some of my meditations, they can get them there and the meditations go along with the week. So if we're talking about feel, that's what the meditation's about, you know? So the people who have taken the class so far have given me great reviews and found it very powerful. So I hope more and more people take advantage of it. Can you uh, tell people again what the title of your book is and where they can find it? Definitely. The book is called Show Up for Yourself, A Guide to Inner Awareness and Growth, and it's available on Amazon. Is there anything that you would like to share with the listeners? Wow, we've talked about so much, Natalie. What I want to tell people is that they're worth it. Like You are worth it. If it has crossed your mind that maybe I should get help with this, then that is your inner child. That is your inner wisdom raising its hand, going, see me, see me, pick me, take care of me and call a therapist, call a coach and get started on your journey to heal because you're worth it. Thank you very much for that. I appreciate you, Janet. I hold space and reverence and hold you in my great big hugs that I miss and I cannot wait to that we can do it again in person. Thank you for honoring us with your vulnerability and your wisdom and experiences. And I hope that in future episodes, you'll come back and speak again and possibly speak on book number two. That comes <laughs> Well, I appreciate you too, Nat. Thank you so much. I just love having this conversation with you. And I love that you are spreading light into the world and sharing your own wisdom and your own voice because it is needed. Thank you, Janet. Remember to be kind to yourself. Absolutely. Thank you for making it to the end. I appreciate you and your time. If you found any value in this conversation, I ask you to help us grow by subscribing to the Lift Oneself podcast and more sharing it out to others. The more that we have conversation and dialogue that are honest and open, that is when we can remove the stigmas around mental health. Until next time, remember, be kind and gentle with yourself. You matter.